What up, guys? Welcome to Reality Benders, episode four. We we making progress here. <laughs> Today, we got my homie, Andrew Southworth, on. Now, this guy is a huge inspiration to me. He's been absolutely killing it. You know, he's between his YouTube channel, where he's been growing a lot, specifically in the music marketing niche, as well as himself as an artist. He's really providing a lot of tools for, you know, other musicians and creatives to really grow their following and create something sustainable so uh could you just start by giving people a little more about your background and you know what what you're doing right now yeah so um i'm andrew southworth i'm a music producer and a vocalist and i am completely independent and basically along the way i realized that i either couldn't afford to hire someone to do something or, or i didn't have the resources to go out and do it so my process has always been to go learn what I'm, what I need to do. Like that's the whole reason I started singing. And then eventually that turned into to produce my own music because I couldn't hire someone. And then it turned into how to market my own music because I couldn't afford to hire someone to do it. So um, currently what I'm doing is like my main platform is, is YouTube where I share a lot of um, essentially what I'm doing marketing my music. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to specialize in Facebook ads because that's where I found the best results. But it is my, I guess my channel is all about helping other music creators get their music heard in whatever way works for me. I just share it and hopefully it helps the most amount of other uh, creatives as possible. So when you started your YouTube channel, what was your initial plan? Like, did, was that what initially you wanted to do with it or did you have other, like, how did you get started with it? So I think my first video was probably 2007 or something when I was like <laughs> uh, 16 or something. Um, I'm 28 now. So uh, I, I first, my first kind of like main content that I cared about was I was posting screaming lessons. Um, cause I'm, I'm in a few metal bands. And so I was teaching how to scream on YouTube, which not many people were doing. Like basically I, I couldn't, I had trouble learning it. I figured it out and I started making recurring content on how to scream. And I think that wasn't until I was like, uh, 18, 19, 20, when I started doing that. Um, and then eventually over time, I just got bored of talking about screaming because there's only, there's really only so much you can teach people on how to do metal vocals, at least what I felt like. So eventually I transitioned into doing music production and I started covering a lot of software reviews and hardware reviews. And, um, i liked doing that, but the problem was the content didn't encourage people to really, I guess, care about. I guess me and what I was doing. They were there because they wanted to mm-hmm. hear the thing I was demoing. And so they would come in, watch a little bit of the video and leave, never subscribe, never see any of my other videos. Mm-hmm. So I tried to mix myself more and more into my content. And then eventually I just kind of stumbled across sharing my music marketing content. And that's what resonated the most with people in terms of um, sticking around, engaging with my content, asking questions and, and coming back time and time and again. Mm -hmm. So I feel like most people get into marketing as almost like a necessity. You know what I mean? I feel like, and when you first started diving into that world, like what was your experience? Like, did you find that it's been something that's taken a while to develop or like, how have you really, you know, not just gotten started in that world, but reached a point where you're actually sufficient with it and able to get results. Right. Uh, I think, so I, I started releasing music formally in 2018 and I don't think I really started marketing it until 2019 is when I really started taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. So it took me a lot of years to figure out just to even get my music released. And then it took about two years to really figure out a marketing process that worked at all. Because all, all of 2019 essentially was just me blowing money and testing things out and failing repetitively until like the end of the year, I finally came across the Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on how you look at it, either, either like a year or two years or uh, 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, no matter what you're doing, whether you're, you know, starting your own business, whether you're trying to be a musician, like any form of creativity, anything that involves getting like the world we live in nowadays is 
all about attention. Like attention is the most valuable asset that we can have. And once we have that attention, we can use it for whatever we want, whether that's a nonprofit, whether that's a business, whether that's your music and, you know, marketing specifically with Facebook ads is really the most powerful tool we have right now, just because Facebook has so much information about everyone that, you know, with, you know, traditional advertising, you know, if you paid thousands of dollars for a billboard, you're just hoping that the people that drive by that are the people that want what you are offering. Whereas nowadays you can target specifically just the people. Like if you're into yeah. Korean death metal or something like you can, what, no matter what it is, like you can find your audience. So what's, what's so empowering once you realize that is it, it really comes down to just, you know, if you can learn how to leverage this platform properly like you have the ability to get in front of the people that matter. But I think for a lot of us where that gets really overwhelming is, you know, we either have to pay these people thousands of dollars and we really don't know what we're doing. We're kind of just hoping that what they're going to do is going to work. Or, you know, we start diving in that world ourselves. And I think a lot of people like, you know, they'll dip their toe in, but when they don't get results with the first couple hundred dollars and, you know, their penny pinching, it's hard to not feel like, ah, I feel like I'm wasting my money. And, you know, I think a lot of us can understand, you know, it starts with this kind of, you know, more top of the funnel approach where we got to get that audience first. But how do you, you know, get through that initial phase of like knowing you're going to waste a lot of money and, you know, really cracking that code? Because it's really unsettling when you're spending all this money. Like, how do you really push through that? Yeah, that that's a good question. I don't, I don't know if there's necessarily a, a, a firm kind of black and white answer to it. Because um, for everyone, it's going to be a little bit different depending on what, on what their needs are. Um, I, I, think, I think the first thing to think about is that try to avoid anything that's a black box, meaning you don't want to be putting money into something that you don't understand and that you don't know what's happening and that you can't extract any value out of it. Like, for example, every marketing effort has the potential to fail. Mm -hmm. Like, essentially, you, you could at any given time fail entirely. And you don't want to be in a situation where you get nothing from that. You want to at least be able to say, for example, with Facebook ads, you can come out of the other side and you at least knew what you did wrong, or at least now you know what not to do, or at least you have a bunch of data that you can utilize after the fact. So for for me that's that's an important thing at least in hindsight thinking like with with like i guess playlist pitching for example um you put a bunch of money you give a bunch of money to someone and they say you get on all these playlists you get nothing from that you don't build any relationships you don't get any data you just you put money into a black box and you get something back and i think that's one of the the i mean it's very vague to say right like mm -hmm. a lot of artists are thinking like what what is that really like? That's not a firm answer, but the thing is, there's really no firm answer of, of how to get past that initial block of am I wasting money or not? The, the only thing you can do is just ensure that even if you fail, you know how to learn from that because that yeah. way failure isn't really failing. It's learning. It's expensive yeah. learning, but it's learning. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's, you know, settled me a lot is viewing this initial because i'm in that phase right now right like i've had success with e-commerce before and i've built a successful business and what I, I i understand the concept that you know you have to spend money to make money and you know just navigating those waters of knowing like like where am i wasting and how do i you know adjust properly because you know like you said there's not a definite return like what you're doing is not just because these ads are successful for people don't mean they're necessarily going to automatically work for you so yes. you know it's very tricky trying to figure out how to you know navigate those waters and that's why it's really interesting to you know a, a big you know the formula to success i'll say it time and time again it's you know identifying what you want finding the people that have it and then figuring out you know what habits and patterns and what they're doing every single day and repeating that process, right? That's a big yeah. reason why I had you on is because I'm trying to figure that out. But, you know, regardless of what niche you're in, whether that's music, whether that's your business, whatever it is, you need to be leveraging these because it's such a powerful tool. Um, you know, it, it, it can yeah. get overwhelming though because it feels like you do a lot of research and then, you know, like people start selling you their courses and that can be really useful. I've definitely benefited from a lot of courses, but sometimes you get burned from them. Oh, you know yeah. What I mean, 
So I, I've taken almost every single music marketing course you could possibly find <laughs> on Google because yeah. I, I had the same mindset where it's like, well, if even if you have to spend like a couple hundred dollars of course, it's like, it might sound like a lot of money, but if you have the potential to make that or way more than it's worth it. And, and with music marketing courses, they tend to be the, on the cheaper side compared to e-commerce courses where mm -hmm. it's pretty common to spend over a grand on an e advanced e-commerce course because mm -hmm. they know that, well, they'll at least say that they know that they can pretty much guarantee you'll get some amount of results and at least make back that money on your course if you follow through. So um, there, there is that kind of aspect of just like going out there and learning and, and, and doing that. I don't even remember what I was initially saying, but I was commenting on those <laughs> courses stuff, but yeah. So, you know, outside of the ads, right. So that's its own, you know, whole mind fuck that we have to go through is figuring that out. But outside of that, we also have, you know, organic content creation. And, you know, I've been really focusing recently on trying to get like a systematic posting schedule. But, you know, between YouTube and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and new platforms emerging, there's so many areas that divide and dilute our focus. How do you juggle knowing, you know, what is something that's worth the investment that's just uh, going to take patience and what is a waste of your time? I, I tend to encourage people to only pursue a, a couple platforms they know they can dominate at. Meaning, as, as much as it would be perfect to go on YouTube, go on Instagram, go on TikTok, go on, you know, whatever, Triller and, and Facebook and <laughs> Twitter, all these platforms, you just, you don't have the resources to do it all unless you have a team, which later on you might, but right now you probably don't. Mm -hmm. So what I tell people is, pick a few platforms that you're going to just commit to for like six months. Like you're going to publish on YouTube one week, sorry, once a week for, for like a six months or a year, you're going to post on Instagram every day or two for like six months to a year. And you're going to post on, uh, I don't know, Twitter or something three times a day for a year. And you, you can pick those core, like two or three platforms. And then in addition to that, you can say, well, I'm going to spend like 10% of my time on, exploratory platforms like maybe maybe tiktok's one of your main platforms or maybe it's not maybe you started off on youtube and facebook and those are your mains and so now you're going to spend like 10 percent of your time just exploring tiktok mm -hmm. and that that's what i think is, is the best way to get into it because it avoids the burnout problem of, of mm -hmm. trying to accomplish more than you can realistically handle it's, it's much better to pick one platform and just crush it than be on like 15 yeah. platforms doing a half-assed job. So yeah, um, I've tried to be omnipresent before and you just, what ha ends up happening is you just end up taking like two weeks off because you just get burnt out and then all your yeah. platforms suffer. Yeah. No, that's but, so true. And that, that was the big issue I had. I was trying to do them all at once. And the first time I could say I really got momentum was when I only focused on TikTok. I did nothing but TikTok because it was blowing up. Now I'm trying to hedge a little because I'm not sure if it's even going to be around anymore. Um, yeah. But like, at least for me, what's been a real struggle is I know I fall in the trap of shiny object syndrome and I'm constantly excited by this new thing. And then I feel guilty when I'm not leveraging it, even though I already feel I'm spread thin. And then I see things like Facebook ads that can be really effective and I know I need to be utilizing but then when I'm doing the Facebook ads, I'm like, well, I'm not putting out content <laughs> yeah. and it, it becomes so overwhelming to try and micromanage all these areas. You know, that's why I always preach the importance of like creating a very systematic process that can kind of drip feed itself through your content. Yeah. And that's, that's the nice thing about essentially what, you know, what I do with my, my main videos and my interview stuff that goes in my podcast and what you're going to be doing with, with mm -hmm. your podcast stuff is that you can get that one piece of content and you could turn it into a hour long video. You can turn it into six Instagram posts. You can turn it into a couple uh, Twitter posts, a couple uh, TikTok posts. And that's where you can actually kind of be omnipresent a little bit. But even if you look at it that way, you're just like, you're still like with you focusing on your show, you're saying, I'm going to commit to YouTube you know, for, I don't know how, how frequent you're going with this, but once it's or twice, week, every Monday, every Monday. And you're going to do that for like six months to a year before you even 
even think about switching to it because that, like it takes a while to develop a new platform. Yeah. But essentially like you, you're going to repost it on all these other places. And so you're reutilizing that content. And then when you get that shiny object syndrome, that's when you just spend that, you know, 10% of experimental mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Just test the waters, you know, put it's a like few diversifying up. your portfolio. Yeah. And, and concept. Put 10, I've been trying to do that yeah. as much as I can. Like I, you don't want everyone to be in one platform because what happens when, when Facebook says, well, we're going to make Facebook pages basically useless. All of mm -hmm. a sudden, a lot of businesses get very screwed by that. Um, yeah. But if they diversified and built that same audience on like three platforms, well, if one tanks, it's like, who cares? Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the biggest obstacle you're trying to overcome right now? Oh man, <laughs> this is like a, this is like a job interview question. <laughs> um, I, the, the one thing that I struggle with the most is uh, I, I think it would be staying, I guess, organized. Is that a good mm -hmm. word? I guess. Creating probably, a workflow. Yeah. Like I, I've been struggling with, organizing my process for the past like six months or more. Mm -hmm. um, I have taken a lot of steps to, I guess, uh, what's the word? Optimize. Streamline, streamline, yeah, streamline. Optimize my workflow. But yeah. it's kind of an ongoing battle because you always want to be producing more and more content. Mm -hmm. But you only have so many hours you can commit to. Yeah. So I'd say for me, it's, it's maybe not necessarily the content because I feel like I've gotten to the point where my content, I've like cut the mm -hmm. time it takes to create a piece of content by like a factor of five. Mm -hmm. For me, it's more kind of premeditating on my content so that I'm not yeah. waiting until the day by day to execute it. Is yeah, literally like tomorrow I have to upload a video. It's not yeah. even I haven't even thought of the idea for the video yet. <laughs> and it's going to be going online tomorrow, so that means what's going to happen is tomorrow at about six p.m. I'm gonna I'm gonna bang out the video, edit it, and it's going to be up online by nine thirty. And that's a common mm -hmm. thing for me, but I don't really want it to be that way. I'd like to say like, yeah, my videos are scheduled for the next month and a half mm -hmm. um, because then I can really start to like premeditate stuff. Like I can say, yeah. well, I'm going to create this video and this is like a real content hooker. This is what brings people in. So I can bring people in with this video. And while that video is just crushing it, they're going to be followed on by all these videos in the sequence. Mm -hmm. um, I can't do that with this kind of like seat to your pants style, like, banging out a video the day it goes up. So for, mm -hmm. for me, that's probably the, the biggest thing, like organizing and, and planning ahead of time. It's, mm -hmm. but, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you talked to, you talked to both a lot of marketers that are pretty successful as well as I'm sure a lot of people hit you up with, you know, questions. So you, you get, you have a good, you know, range of the spectrum of what a lot of people are doing what would you say is the biggest factors that the people that are successful are doing compared to the people that aren't? Mm, well, that's a really good question. Uh, the thing that the people who aren't successful that I see very common um, and keep in mind, this is, this is in most largely music producer and music artist world. Um, mm -hmm. I'll see people that, well, they might hit me up on Instagram and, and they'll say like, I want, I, I, I'm having trouble with this ad stuff or I'm getting these really expensive results. And in a lot of cases, I find that they're not necessarily at the point where they're, they're ready to run the ads. Mm. So it's like, it's kind of an issue where people are jumping the gun mm -hmm. with their marketing where they might be, um, for example, they, they've come up with a couple songs and they've never tried to grow on any platform organically and they've never, they haven't tasted the failure yet really. And they want to jump mm -hmm. right into spending this money on ads. And what happens is that since they just, they kind of, they just started, they don't have much content out is that they don't really know who their target audience is. They don't really have mm -hmm. a brand established yet. They, they haven't had to make content for on a recurring basis for anyone yet so they're kind of putting the the what is it saying the, the wagon before, before the, the hearse, hearse. Yeah. before the horse yeah. um and they want to they want to promote something that doesn't really exist yet and mm -hmm. the problem with that is is that the your stickiness rate of your brand is going to be yeah. so 
incredibly low because like if someone comes to your Spotify and Instagram page and you don't even have a bio on your Spotify, you don't have, you have like two Instagram posts, you don't even have a link anywhere on your profile, uh, the chances of someone sticking around there are much lower. So what happens is that you're, you might get some streams, like if we're promoting a song off of your campaign, but you're not going to be getting those followers. You're not going to be getting the people that they're so passionate about your content that they send you a DM or they look you up mm-hmm. online and they follow your YouTube channel. Yeah. You don't get all of those, those benefits. So that's one side, the people that are successful when they hit me up and yeah. it's like, they're not reaching out to me and be like, yo, I need to help. I need to, some help marketing my music. They're, they're hitting me up and like, Hey, I've been making music for a couple of years. I, I've been testing out with ads, but I've been having this result. This is exactly how I'm failing. What should I do with this? This is what I've tried. Here's some screenshots. And I go to their Instagram page and they have like hundreds of posts. Um, they've built up a small community without ads and they've, they've kind of done it all to an extent without the ad. So what happens is when you use Facebook ads is you're adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. Like Facebook ads aren't some, they might seem magical, but they're not magical. All they do is to get whatever posts you have and increase the engagement or increase the impressions of it. If your posts and your page suck from the start, you're just getting more people that don't like your content. So, uh, <laughs> It's, it's kind of a combination of people who don't have their stuff figured out yet are kind of the people that uh, are the less successful and the people that are the most successful are the ones who are willing to try and fail and they're very analytical about everything they do. And before they even come to me, they've tried a whole bunch of things. Yeah, definitely. No, it's so true. Like if you don't have a reason for someone to stick around, even if you get their initial attention, like, they're not going to stick around. (laughs) And so I I feel like that part is so important. Plus that'll make your ads better because when you sharpen the skill set of creating engaging content, well, you can then just use that engaging content in your ad and it's going to perform better. Right. And even to give them like my own example of how I think I dropped the ball on a release before um, I have a project called day four, which is awesome band. We're kind of like Lincoln park style music. I'm the vocalist in it. And last year we came up with an album and it did get like 300,000 streams within a couple of months. It did pretty well. What, what I think we failed at is before we even released that album, we should have had the next three singles ready because mm-hmm. now it's seven months later <laughs> and we, don't, we haven't had another song out. So yeah. what's going to happen when we want to run ads to those people? We essentially can't retarget any of those people and because there's, there's a 180 day limit on retargeting. And we didn't keep engaging that community of people that we built up on Instagram with those ads. So when we put out a new post that we have something new, a lot of those people are going to be like, who is this band again? Yeah. No. So I do that on Instagram, like I'll, uh, after I p- haven't posted for a while, I'll post and then my followers go down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause, cause it's like these people. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty common. Cause people will come to you for one thing. And if you don't post often enough, they just forget who you are. Is, yeah. And you might think, how could they possibly forget me? Well, you don't realize that like when someone's scrolling on their feed and they, they see some posts, like they might've seen one picture from you ever. They don't even know your yeah. name. Just that one post caught their attention. So as mm-hmm. soon as you post the second thing a week and a half later, they're like, who, who is this and why should I care? Yeah. <laughs> but if you do it every day, the people that stick with you care enough to see you every day. Yeah. So how do you go about networking and creating relationships. I know we, we talked on your podcast, you know, about like the number one key to, you know, networking is providing value, right? It's, it's a relationship. There's a give and there's a take. And if you expect someone to give, you got to give just as much in return. But, you know, part of that process is like, you know, when you're reaching out to these people, how do you determine, you know, how to provide them value? Uh, So for me now, if, for example, if I wanted to have someone that's, I would consider a, like a fantastic, harder to reach guest on the show, for example, Mm -hmm. on on my podcast and YouTube channel, the way that I would be providing them value is I would make sure to emphasize in my email to them, Hey, I have, you know, 17,000 subscribers and Mm -hmm. I have this many listeners and it's in this niche that you're in and you'll, you'll probably get some kind of audience. Some portion of my audience will go check out your stuff. 
Um, so for them, it's, it's free exposure. Now, that's hard to do. This is the whole like chicken before the egg situation mm -hmm. where if you don't have an audience, how the hell do you leverage an audience? Um, so I think for, for those people, you have to be a little more creative. And um, I, I talked on my show uh, last week that I, uh, I had on Matt Pelosi from Cyber PR. And he told me that the way he got into working at Cyber PR, and if you don't know what Cyber PR is, they're like a pretty well-known music PR agency and their, their owner is like pretty well-known. She's written books on marketing and PR and stuff like that. And he wanted to work for it because she's kind of like legendary in that realm. So he messaged them and said, I will work for free if you just teach me what you know. Uh, that might not be for everyone, but like, that's a pretty damn good value. You're saying I'll work for you for like free for 10 hours a week or whatever. Yeah. Um, and if you're a musician and maybe you're trying to sell beats, like maybe you can find some mid tier rappers and you could offer mm -hmm. them some free beats in exchange for shout outs and credits. If you're a rapper, um, I guess that's a little more creative. You might find a producer that's just a little bit above you. You know, don't shoot for, I don't know. I don't know. Don't shoot for marshmallow or flume or something. Shoot for, <laughs> shoot for someone. Like if you're at a thousand monthly listeners, shoot for someone with 10,000 monthly listeners and say, Hey, mm -hmm. I know you have a bigger audience, but you know, my audience isn't too much smaller and maybe they're really engaged in one platform and maybe you have a bigger Instagram following than they do, even though they're much bigger than you on Spotify. Yeah. So even if you're small, you, you still have more leverage than, than you think, even, even just ignoring the whole, like, Oh, I'll make some artwork for you. Oh, I'll, I'll pay you those kind of things. Like try to just try to like maybe shrink your expectations at first about who you can get, but you can, you can come up with a way to convince a lot of people. I think. Yeah. I mean, and, and when you initially hit me up, like you gave me a, a pretty great value proposition. We talked about this in, on our episode of my yeah. channel. You know, you're like, hey, I, I have some friends. We're doing great on TikTok and I'm doing decent on TikTok too. And I'm cranking out this music and I'm doing all this stuff. And you're doing this stuff and I want to learn that. And we can kind of all learn from each other. Yeah. Well, that, that's something I've been super, I, I've been toying around with a lot with is, you know, understanding this concept of how valuable increasing your network is. Like one of the qu quickest way to like, grow your success and create momentum is who is in your network right yeah. and it's very easy to grow your network network no matter what it is that you want to do it's as simple as going on google going on youtube going on instagram looking up whatever the person you want in your network is whether that's you know someone who's good with finances or someone in health or marketing whatever it is and you literally just go to them and you, you look at like, what do they need? Right. And sometimes I just ask them, <laughs> it's like, what yeah, do you need? It's, it's nice to know that like, if someone has a question for me, that is like in the PR world, yeah. I can just shoot a message to Matt Pelosi, who I talked yeah. to last week. And it's nice to know that if I'm having trouble with my mixing or mastering, I have my friend, Jerry. And if he has questions with marketing, he knows he has me. And if I have questions with, uh, you know, for example, e-commerce, you have a lot of experience in that. So it, it's, yeah. it's very handy to build up your, your network in a million ways. Like aside from the fact that you like, you develop actual like friendships and stuff from this, yeah. you can talk to, it's, it's pretty, pretty valuable. Even if you're not making a relationship with like little Drake or something like it's, yeah. Well, you also don't know where that person's going to be. Like, for example, um, I was, when I was like 19, I went to this e-commerce conference and I met this couple and, you know, it was, this was for Amazon. Like, this is completely different from music. Like, this has nothing to do with music. And uh, like, they were super nice, like befriended them. You know, I was in Austin, Texas for the weekend, you know, hung out with them a couple of times. And, you know, they like, they made an offhanded comment about like, oh, you should collab with our daughter. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. Like it never really turned into anything. And they're, you know, I'm 19, their daughter's like 12 at the time. So I'm not really thinking much about it. And then, you know, she's like a beast with her content. Like she's consistently putting out stuff every week on YouTube. Like it's gotta be nice not having to work a job. That, that's gotta make it easier to put out content. But I digress, like she's killing it, props to her. 
And, you know, randomly one of her videos gets discovered by Shane Dawson. And, you know, next thing you know, she's literally doing a video with Shane Dawson and like overnight she's getting like hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And then, yeah. outs- and then outside of that, she went on to America's Got Talent and she actually got the golden buzzer on America's Got Talent. Her name's uh, Sophie Picora, by the way, if anyone wants to check her out, she's killing it. Um, and like now she's like established in the industry and like what's crazy is like i found out about her when she had like a thousand subscribers and you know that never really cultivated anything i still talk with her mom but like like still you 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 never know where someone's gonna end up so you investing in these relationships and especially when you're investing with people that are serious right people that aren't just trying to flex like they're doing this because they legitimately love it and they're trying to make a career out of it like you don't know where they're going to be in five years. And as yeah, long as, yeah, go it's, ahead. It's funny you brought that. So I was talking to a rapper. I don't know if you saw this video of mine. Um, the rapper called Young L3X or Young Lex. Yeah, he's actually my next episode. I had him on oh, right, yeah. a couple days yeah. ago. <laughs> no, he, he's, 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 like, he's an awesome man. And it's cool yeah. because like he has like 300,000 monthly listeners. And like he's, make, he's getting a lot of volume in streams. He's making a living off of his streaming revenue, which is, which mm-hmm. is nuts, right? And you're talking to him and he's so humble about it. It's almost like he doesn't even know, like no one's told yeah. him. <laughs> um, and uh, if I go to like his top song, like he's collaborating with someone who like, I've never heard of cause I'm not big in like the, the hip hop world called Joyner Lucas. Dude, how do you not know Joyner? That's what every, all the comments in the video is like, you don't know Joyner Lucas. Anyway. So <laughs> I'm talking to him. I'm like, how did you pull this collab off? And he's, he's telling me that like, well, it was like, you know, it was 2016. He was also a Boston-based uh, hip-hop artist. Mm-hmm. And they were both kind of like in the same ballpark of um, audience size at the time, I mm-hmm. guess. And he just collabed with them because he was like, well, he's a local artist in my same niche who I, you know, thinks a cool dude. Yeah. And what happened is later on, that guy just kind of popped, <laughs> right? Yeah. And... Oh, he popped. <laughs> he popped. Right? I mean, he's got 9 million or something monthly listeners, that guy, Jordan Lucas. And, uh, you know, you never know when that's going to happen. So it's, yeah. it's, it's always good to be a little more open, I think, than closed with collaborations. Like, yeah. it's better to collaborate with someone who, who won't do you any good than it is to not collaborate with someone who might blow up. <laughs> yeah, well... Plus you're, you're getting the reps in, right? Like, and, and you're developing that relationship, like coming back to, you know, what we talked about, like the networking, like it's not just who, you know, it's who they know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, the way I see it is every time I collab with someone, we now have an invested interest to help each other because yeah. if that person blows up, we make money from that. So if I have a legitimate reason, I need someone in my circle and someone in my circle has someone in their circle that can help me, they're going to be like, of course. Because yeah. if I blow up tomorrow and then they have a song with me, that could lead to them, you know, making money from that. Plus right. just going through the process of making a song with someone, like you, you develop a stronger relationship because that's like, that's a whole process. But that could yeah. be in anything. That's not just music. That could be any, whatever you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that whole, it's definitely true that the act of collaborating with someone is kind of like a, almost like a friendship building activity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you meet someone and like, you might talk a little bit, but when you're writing a song with someone, like mm-hmm. you kind of need to know both, you need to know what the song's about. So you kind of get into that person's yeah. headspace and you're go- bouncing back ideas and you have to be very open with them. Like you have to be able to tell this person, I don't like this idea. I do look like this idea. And it's, um, most of my friends that I talk to on a regular basis are ended up being musicians because mm-hmm. this might sound weird to say, but there, it's because there's like a reason to keep, yeah. keep talking with them on a regular basis where I bet if you think back to your like high school friends, how many of them do you really talk to? Probably. Oh yeah. Not a probably lot. only a few. I mean, in my case, the only ones I talk to are the ones that I continue to do the music with. <laughs> yeah. Um, Even if you have like a good relationship with them and they're your friends, like as you get older, you just have more obligations. And like when you really invest in like building your career, naturally your entire life gets encompassed by that. So people that aren't in that field, 
tend to, you know, get put on the back burner. Cause you know, like, at least for me, like I work from 7am to 9pm, six days a week. Yeah. Like that is a large period where I'm not talking or hanging with my friends. And, you know, that's cause I love what I do, but a big breakthrough I had on the podcast I released uh, today actually was, you know, we were talking about from the health perspective, like, you know, how you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And, you know, it all, that quote always gives me anxiety because I look at a lot of people in my life and I'm like, like, I don't want to be the average of you. And, you know, a big breakthrough I had is, you know, I realized instead of stressing about cutting out the wrong people, instead, just focus on adding the right people. And then that shift will just happen organically. You know what I mean? You don't even have to try. It'll just, it'll just happen naturally. And in, right. it, it doesn't create this painful subtraction. You're, instead, you're focused on an exciting addition. And that, that could go the same for your ad dollars too, right? Like people are so focused on the money they're losing that they forget about the new fans they're gaining. Yeah, no, it's 100%. Like I see a lot of people online saying like, oh, I got to, I got to cut this negativity out of my life, like referring to people, you know, that mm-hmm. they know. Um, and it happens a lot with music people because they're like, well, I have a lot of friends who don't support what I do. Or I have a lot of family members that don't support what I do. And they tend to focus a lot on exactly what you said. How do I cut these people out of my life to avoid the negativity? But I don't know. I mean, I, I've never really done that. It's just kind of like, I don't know, don't focus on that negativity and just add more people that do support what you do because they're also doing what you do. You know, and the internet's a great thing. You know, it's, we would have never met if it weren't for the internet. Yeah. (laughs) Me and almost every music person I know would have never met if it wasn't for the internet. So you might think that you don't know anyone that relates to you and does what you do, but like there's a community of people that are doing what you do online. You just gotta, Mm -hmm. you gotta find them and add them to your life and then find ways that you can kind of like, you know, develop a kind of weird online relationship and And yeah, well, value. it's crazy. Some of my closest friends I've never even met in person. Right. <laughs> Cause it's just, we like, like we just are interested in the same thing. And just through the power of, you know, social media got introduced to each other. And then we have such similar lifestyles through just those algorithms matching us up through whatever interest we had that it, it just like, it's so much more, it just happens so naturally. <laughs> Yeah, I like my, my friend Jerry, uh, that's, you know, he's coming from mm-hmm. the channel a few times, but he, him and I only met once at NAMM because we both mm-hmm. happened to be going yeah. there. I was going there because like my, I, my company's registered as a NAMM company and he was going there to like teach a uh, session that they have. And, but like, aside from that, we never met and we, but we talk like, I don't know, like four or five days a week, we'll send texts back and yeah. forth and we do weekly webcam chats and yeah. We live in completely different states so it's yeah. you never you never know like there's always someone out there that's, that's going to resonate with you and when i first talked to tom dupree who i had in the show he was like man it was so great to to talk to you finally because i've been doing this youtube thing for a while and i've never met anyone else that does youtube as a music creator <laughs> and it's like man that's that's that really sums it up because it's what we do is weird to, to if you look at the people you know in real life but mm-hmm. if you just look out just like a little bit there's thousands of us online yeah you just gotta like take the initiative and reach out that's that's so true like when you say it's like you know i don't i didn't to me it didn't even cross my mind as being weird because i just have become so encompassed in this world but you're kind of right like if i think about the people around me like most people aren't doing this type of stuff Right. I, I don't know a single person in, in my real like day-to-day physical life <laughs> that has a YouTube channel. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's, so yeah. basically what that means is that's probably typical for most people who do uh, do this type of stuff, whether it's YouTube yeah. or, or music. And uh, we're kind of like the weirdos, but uh, if, if you look online, it's like there's still tens of thousands of us. So. Yeah. 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 So where do you want to take this? Like with everything, you got a podcast, you got a YouTube, you got your own music career. Like if you could really snap your fingers and, you know, in the next, 
you know, three to 10 years really get to where you want to go? What does that look like? Um, I think, so I have, I have thought about this, but it kind of changes as the years go by. I guess. <laughs> um, I, I want to get this YouTube channel to the point where the, the, the main end goal is to help as many music creators as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, what the end goal would be, would be to have this be one of the leading uh, music marketing and music business YouTube channels. And I, I want my podcast interview show, I want people to essentially think of it as that is the, the Joe Rogan of music marketing in terms of podcasts <laughs> yeah. and interview shows. Yeah. Um, and I want my channel to be the best source of music marketing um, on the internet for at least my niche of music marketing. Like I, I, I don't tend to, me and like, for example, if you look at Adam Ivey's channel, for example, mm-hmm. he doesn't focus on the ad stuff. He focuses a lot on like the organic content. Mm-hmm. so not necessarily trying to i'm not trying to go in that direction my channel but i want people to think of that facebook ads and and algorithmic playlists and and all that stuff um, i want i want to be like the leading source of information mm-hmm. for that and so that's that's just like the youtube channel by itself now for generous studios the goal is um in terms of at least revenue it's it's to bring it to the point where that the products sold through that company are I guess the, the current goal is to get that up to 50 grand a year. And then it's going to be to bring it up to hundred grand a year and then keep scaling it as the years go by. But it still has the same mission of helping as many music creators as possible, either through the sample packs I sell or through mm-hmm. the, um, the one course that I have available, <laughs> which is the music, <laughs> yeah. the Spotify growth machine um, yeah. course. But to kind of sum all that up, I want each of these kind of things to function independently and be essentially by themselves, a source of livable income mm-hmm. so that if I wanted to, I would be very safe and comfortable in actually switching to doing that full time. Cause yeah. I have a day career as a, mm-hmm. as a mechanical engineer, but mm-hmm. it'd be nice to know that, Hey, my YouTube channel, that by itself, full-time revenue source. My company, my sample packs by itself, full-time revenue source. My music marketing products, whether that's uh, one-on-one consultations or the course or doing uh, work for people and running ads for them, um, that alone, complete full-time revenue source. And essentially, as you can imagine, the reason why is because it's to kind of bulletproof yourself from the ever-changing world of the internet. Like if, Mm -hmm. if YouTube comes along and says, well, we're going to cut out the payment and ads by 50%. Like for a lot of YouTubers over the years, they've essentially made them have to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, if Facebook ads decides to say, well, we're going to double our prices. A lot of business would crumble. So, so that's why I kind of have that multi-tiered approach of like, I want to have all these little things that all by themselves are a stable, livable yeah. source of uh, not just income, but also income and audience and, I guess, influence so that if, if any one of them tanks or even two of them tank, I'd still be fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, you really encompass what a reality bender is, right? Like I'm only on episode, what, three or four now, right? So as I, as I grow more, this is going to, you know, develop, but to just really get back to what this podcast is all about, it's about finding people that have figured out how to bend reality towards their will right? When you started, it didn't start with what it's at today, right? I'm sure your goals for what you have right now are completely different than where they were five years ago. They're completely different from where they were eight months ago. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's going to constantly evolve, right? But the people that are successful are the ones that can, you know, adapt the quickest, but they still have the general same target, which is a life of fulfillment and happiness. And whether that's through music or a nonprofit or a business, whatever you're doing to accomplish that, at the end of the day, we just all want to be financially secure, you know, happy and fulfilled, right? And we're all going throughout that in different ways. So this podcast is really, you know, celebrating the people that do that, but then diving in deeper about, you know, how they're doing it and finding tactics and ways that we can implement what they're doing and what's working for them into what we're doing. Right. Yeah. And you know, the, 
you mentioned the whole, um, you know, the title of the show is obviously yeah. uh, Reality Benders, but it's exactly what, what you, you have to do with all of these different things. Like you have, to, you have to have some vision of an end goal and it's fine if it evolves, but you have to have some vision and you have to be able to say, well, if I want to be there, you have to kind of do a reasonable guess of what I have to do it along mm -hmm. the way to, to get that. So like you, you are in a sense, um, sense creating your own future yeah. and um, you're going to be wrong. You might be wrong nine out of 10 times, but if you're right, you know, those one out of 10 times that inches you to, you know, gets you from level one to level two, so to speak. And then, as we were I think, about, I think the big thing, uh, uh, once I incorporated this, it, it really helped me clarify where I should be taking action, but bringing the scientific method into my approach of taking action, right? So we start with a hypothesis, right? That hypothesis is what do I want? Like that could be for me, for example, I want to be a full-time musician, you know, and then I have in that hypothesis, the action I'm taking to get there. Right. So that's putting out consistent content, marketing myself, networking, getting my finances order, and then taking the money that I make from that and investing it back in. Right. I know that if I repeat that process that I'm going to get some result. Right. So yeah. every month at the end of the month, I take a inventory of what I did this month. Right. I set goals for this year, this month and today. Right. Yeah. My goals for this year are going to be, you know, those are the big goals that are going to stretch me. And then my systematic approach of, you know, what I'm going to do to get there is going to give me feedback. So if I work for a month, I'm going to get feedback of the results I got from that action. And then I yeah. use that feedback to readjust my initial hypothesis. So if my initial hypothesis is I put out an Instagram post a day, put out two TikToks a day, I launch this Facebook ad with $50 budget running these ads, and I do that, you know, every single day for this month, I'm going to get, you know, 5,000 streams on my music, right? That's my hypothesis. And then my data might be, oh, I only got 3,000. And here's why, like this worked, this didn't. Well, now let me readjust that hypothesis. And you just go, and that creates, you know, a positive feedback loop that just compounds over time. And you start to do more and more of what works and cut out more and more of what doesn't. And then when you're surrounding yourself with people that have what you want, they're going to be able to cut that learning curve by a lot. And exactly. so this process just naturally gets you there over time. You know what I mean? And you stop being worried when you start focusing it from a place of like, I, you know, this is my hypothesis. I'm going to see what happens and viewing it more than as an experiment, then you can mm -hmm. kind of like take your emotions outside of, of like worrying about the results and you just start to look at it analytically and it becomes kind of fun. It's like a game you're playing instead of yeah. like feeling this need to be successful. Cause when you, you, you know, you're too invested in the results then your ego gets in it and you start doing short-term yeah. non-sustainable behavior that's pretty much guaranteeing you're never going to get the result you want in the first place. Yeah. And, and personally, like, you know, when you ask what is the end goal of what I'm trying to do for me, that's a harder question mm -hmm. than if you were to say, what is, what is it exactly that you want in like a, a year? And what is it exactly you want for next year? Or what is it you want by this yeah. month? And for me, every single year I write down the goals for that year in a kind of um, thing by thing breakdown. So I have a YouTube goal for 2020. I have an Instagram goal for 2020 mm -hmm. and I have a Spotify goal for, for different months throughout 2020. And that's what makes it a lot more game like than just thinking, well, I need to become a famous rapper. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> because yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you, you can actually get some wins that way that give you the confidence to keep, going like i can tell you that at the end of um this year my goal is to have twenty thousand subscribers on youtube with a stretch goal of 25 mm -hmm. instagram was to have two thousand followers which is a stretch goal of 2500 and spotify is to have a hundred thousand streams a month by the end of the year mm -hmm. um and for me like that's a much more attainable thing than thinking of well i need to become like i need to completely make a living off of my music or something yeah no, it's so true. And I, I think 
the biggest realization I had, you know, obviously we're chasing these goals, but at the end of the day, when you reach your goals, you're going to feel exactly the same, right? Yeah. You're going to, you're going to get that initial dopamine rush. It could last a day, it could last a week, but you're, you're so close to it and you invest so much that you expect some crazy result on the other end. And in reality, being successful isn't about hitting that number. It's about chasing that number. Yeah. Right. And once I made that pivot, like everything changed for me because, you know, I'm happy and fulfilled now. And I don't have my goal. I have like 200 monthly listeners. This podcast has one subscriber on YouTube right now. Cause I'm only on episode three or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I, have you know my net worth is like six grand and you look at what i've gone through to get there and you'd be like oh why even try right you know what i mean because that's that's working 13 to 14 hour days six to seven days a week for four years and if you look at those results you'd be like oh why even try but what people forget you know our memory isn't very strong right so we yeah. forget about all the work we've already put in and we don't see how it's going to compound in the future because our memory doesn't, there's, there's this tipping point where you start to get momentum and that tipping point starts after we've forgotten about the work we've put in, if that makes sense. So what happens for a lot of people is they don't see the fact that they are way stronger and have way more context and way more momentum than they did when they started. They just look at where they are today and they compare it to a completely different person, you know, with completely different results and completely yeah. different variables at play. And so when you can learn like, okay, well, I know that as long as I'm consistent and I'm adjusting that over time, I'm going to figure it out. Like you fall in love with that process of figuring it out. And then that in excel, that in itself is winning. That's success. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I made a bunch of money and I was miserable. Yeah. yeah you, it doesn't you mean really I don't want to make a bunch of money still. <laughs> the process of, of everything you do. Because, like, uh, you know, I, I'm in a good position where even even though I, I have, like, I'm doing music essentially at nights mm -hmm. and I have a, a career by day, mm -hmm. I love my day job. Like I, I, I went to oh, school for, for yeah. six years to be a mechanical engineer. Obviously, I liked it. <laughs> um, so, ideally, while while you're figuring out like not you but like while you the mm -hmm. listener of the show um you're figuring out how to make your music or whatever business endeavor you're pursuing work you will ideally have something else that you're doing to kind of fund it in the meantime whether that's means that you already had a college degree or whether that means you find some kind of job that you can that gives you the freedom to actually pursue what, what you're trying to do like maybe Maybe that means taking a job with less responsibility so that you have more free time or flexibility in your work schedule to pursue your passion at night. I'm telling you, Uber Eats has been a game changer for me. Oh, do you do Uber Eats? Yeah, I do Uber Eats. And, you nice. know, I freaking love Uber Eats as a customer. Oh, it's, well, he, what's crazy about it is it's like, all right, I get to pick my own schedule. If I'm really like, you know, if I really need cash, I can work all day and I can make 200 to $250. Like that's more than sales jobs I've had where I have some flashy title. Like I'm the senior account specialist, but in reality I'm making, you know, dog shit for money. Like yeah, what's, it's amazing. Like Cause like dollars an hour or whatever. Is that yeah. <laughs> yeah. For real. Whereas now it's like, you know, with Uber eats, like I don't have to work today if I don't want to. Right. I don't know how long this podcast was going to go, but I don't have to be worried like, oh, bro, we got to be off by 430 because my boss wants me to come into work today. Like I literally have the freedom to do whatever I want. And if I if my music takes off tomorrow, I can quit without fearing about losing my job. And, yeah. you know, like if you just understand how to handle your money properly, like you don't need a lot of money to be comfortable. Right. Yeah. Like that was the big, that was a big realization I learned. It's like the key to becoming wealthy isn't making more money. It's being smarter with your money. Right. And cause what happens is people make more money, but then their lifestyle goes up 
Like if this is the money they're making, so their lifestyle goes up too. They start eating out more. They get the nicer car. They get the nicer apartment. And at the end of the month, although they're making $100,000 a year, they're, they're broke. And that's what happened to me. Like I was making 10 grand a month on average. Top month, I did 20 grand and I was in debt. <laughs> right? Because yeah. I was focused on making money, but I didn't focus at all on keeping it. Because I was like, oh, I got more money coming in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's hard to think about, especially when you're, you're kind of doing it yourself. Yeah. Because there's no one there to tell you like, you know, hey, we're, we're, you're spending too much on this or that. Like, it's not like in a company where the money that you're bringing in is going to go through like these accountants and people who are experts in investing money. Like, it's all on you as, as the person running the business. So, you know, you, especially since you were what, like 18 or something at the time? Yeah, I was like, it was between, I ran the business between 19 and 21. So you're like 19 to 21, you're not necessarily the best at money you're going to be in your whole life. Oh, yeah. I was a dumb. And, and all of a sudden, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're, you're given—not given, but you earn this this pretty large sum of money, and you just have no idea what to do with it. You just think, "Wow, for the first time in my life, I have enough money to do what I've always wanted to do." So naturally, mm -hmm. you go out and you buy the things you've always wanted to. And um, you know, I've been there too. You know, like yeah. when I started working in engineering, one of the first things I bought was a 3D printer. Wasn't a huge purchase. I didn't buy like a car, but a thousand dollar three D printer. Then I started buying some drones. And then I, I upgraded yeah. a lot of music gear. Um, I got a ten thousand dollar modular yeah, synth next to me. <laughs> and it's it's a real thing that like when you're when you're a young kid. And for me, I was twenty five, so it wasn't even that mm -hmm. long ago. But like you, you get extra money, so naturally you want to knock some items off your bucket list, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but what's smarter to do and I would say in hindsight for me, but as you know, you've said too, hindsight for you is don't change your lifestyle at all. Just save all that cash or invest it in a way that's going to make you more in the future, like in actual investments and in stocks and savings or. Um, it's literally as simple as get rid of your debt, save up an emergency fund in case something happens. So now you have a safety net, which is going to make you psychologically feel a lot more secure and then invest $10 a day in an index fund in an IRA. If you do those things, you're pretty much, not guaranteed because nothing's guaranteed, you're pretty likely gonna recover, you're gonna retire very, very comfortably. Yeah. And that's not hard. You can do that all in, you know, I, like real, like logistically, you could get have that all set up in a day. <laughs> right? It's just like yeah. working out, right? It's not, it's not that you need to do these crazy things. It's just about the right habits compounded over a long enough time frame, And that's the same with marketing, yeah. right? That's what I'm learning more and more with marketing is like, I used to think it was about getting the viral video. When in reality, it's like, all right, cool. You got that viral video. But if there's no other value outside of that, then the people are going to forget about you. Whereas like someone like you, you're, yeah. you're, you're, like cultivating a community for the first time and you see it developing and now you have people that will like you know they'll get hyped if you're talking i get hyped when you hit me up like when you helped me out with facebook ads the other day that like saved me hours of just banging my head against the wall and so you see yeah. is like you know as you're just consistent like inevitably you start to figure it out yeah, no, and I, I totally agree. But like the, the idea of building building a community and, and like you, nothing really works as a one-time luck thing. Like a lot of people think a lot of artists have like a break it moment, like a make it or break it kind of thing where they just, their career took off. But for a few artists, that's the case. But for most, and I don't, I say artists, but I mean artists, YouTuber, entrepreneur, it's never really a one-time thing. It's, years of making the right decisions and putting effort in and caring and, and fostering something that's going to kind of last a long time. Mm -hmm. I, not, not a single one of my videos has ever reached a viral status. It's mm -hmm. my, I built my YouTube channel where it is by just kind of like, I have 530 videos. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like each video takes at least a couple hours. I've spent thousands of hours making videos. Um, yeah. And a lot of people, I don't, I think don't realize that. Like 
it's nice to get like either let's say your music featured on the radio it's nice to get on the the home page of youtube it's nice to get an article written about your business and like i don't know like some newspaper or some or magazine or whatever but like none of that's really going to make a difference like it's kind of like showing up time and time and time and time and time and time again uh, and providing value over time yeah cool man well i think we killed it i think we should wrap this baby up that's pretty much all i got um do you want to tell people about what you're up to promote anything you got going on yeah um if you want to hear more about you know my music marketing stuff go to youtube.com slash andrew southworth i'm sure there'll be some link or something in the, the show notes um and then if you want to hear my music just look up andrew southworth on spotify or whatever platform you do and yeah Bro, we got to collab on a song dog yeah I, I need to get you that uh <laughs> get you a track that we both we both dig <laughs> yeah definitely we'll figure it out um but by yeah. the way guys anyone that if anyone's watching this go for uh subscribe on spotify and we'll be on apple music soon and um i'm trying to grow those you know platforms up just getting started in this and thank you so much for coming on man i really appreciate it yeah you got it